Lord, we thank you for a new day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. We, um, we claim the truth that your word says we're two or more gathered your presence. So you are here, God. You're not sitting in some ethereal sort of heavenly place, but your, your spirit's here among us. And that's powerful. And I ask, God, that your spirit would work now in our hearts, our minds. Just, Lord, we need to hear from you. And um, would you meet us wherever we're at, whether we've had a great week or a bad week, whether we feel like we're just so on fire for you or we barely stumbled into this place and haven't been to church in a long time. God, um, you welcome us wherever we're at. And I pray that we'd feel and sense that welcome and that love, that compassion. And uh, we ask now, God, that your word um, would not return void. We love you, Jesus. We pray it all in your awesome name. Amen. Uh, this week, we are finishing out a series that we've been in for uh, a number of weeks called The Bigger, Better Offer. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at, really, what are the things that God doesn't like? What are the things that God hates? And what are the things that God loves? And maybe uh, if we learn to love the things that God loved and hate the things that God hates, we could show up differently in the world. And The Bigger, Better Offer is sometimes we're just doing things uh, that we recognize like we're losing out or it's not an obedience to God or it's not God's best, it's not our best and maybe there's something better out there. And the invitation to follow Jesus is that there is a bigger, better offer and that is life with him. So this series has been rooted in a proverb, the book of Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom. It's, it's given to us to give us wisdom and how to live. Like it's hard to live at, at times in this life, in this world. It's difficult. There's challenges. But the Bible doesn't ignore those challenges. The Bible gives us what we need to, em, in, to sort of embrace the season that we find ourselves in and, and keep going, enduring. So let me read for you Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. If you can throw it up on the screen. These are the six, thing the Lord, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. We, f we finished out this each week looking at these different, these different verses, but last week we started the conversation about stirring up conflict in the community, and what does it mean to deal with conflict? Look, uh, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have a, a relationship right now that is, there's tension, there's conflict that you're either ignoring or you're trying to work through? I would imagine that every single one of us has a relationship that is in the midst of conflict. And how do we deal with that? It's easy to either ignore the conflict in our life which is sort of a Minnesotan thing to do, a Minnesota nice, like sort of passive aggressively deal with it and ignore it. Or sometimes we come out guns a-blazing and we just go after the person to sort of justify ourselves, to, to feel that feeling of sort of vengeance. But what, is the, what does the Bible say? I got this fly. Talk about <laughs> conflict. Get behind me, Satan. My word. What is going on? And I showered this morning, I swear. Um, Seriously. Uh, <laughs> How do we repair relationships? And uh, 
when the Bible talks about repairing relationships, you know, it's talking about the community of God, the people of God, like the church. Like, there might be relationships with people who are outside of the church, outside of the faith, that you might go, it's almost impossible, like, unless that person dramatically changes, like, there might not be the chance to repair a relationship. But within the church, it's expected of us. As people who have said we're going to follow Jesus, we've, we've professed to live differently. And that means that we're going to have to, like, do things at times that are difficult, challenging, uh, that might even hurt a little bit. But because we've been called to be the family of God, it means we've got to deal with conflict differently than maybe the world deals with conflict. Last week after the service, I was talking to a few people. Actually, a lot of people. It was awesome. Probably the most people I've ever talked to after the service. Because I said, if you go to church here, you can't come talk to me. But if you're new or we've never met, you, you come up. And I think I talked to like 12 different family groups. It was really amazing. So that was, that was awesome. But Tom Lutz snuck in at the end. He's an attender here. And um, I wooed you in. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. But Tom, Tom told me a story. So Tom is uh, a pastor's kid. And uh, you can fill this in if I get this wrong. But he told me a story about how his dad is a pastor in the church that he was pastoring. There was two men that were at odds with one another, right? And how long did they not speak to each other? 11 years. 11 years and they went to the same church, and they continue to go to the same church. So I was actually impressed that they stayed at the same church. Like, that's actually somewhat Im impressive. But uh, within the church, two men, I would guess they professed to be believers, would not talk to each other for 11 years. That's powerful if you think about that. What sort of rootedness is in, is in you know, our hearts that we can commit to, to not talking to someone for that long. But one Sunday, as communion was being uh, prepared and Tom's dad invited people to take communion, he, he spoke that text where Paul says, look, before you come to the Lord's table, if you have issues with, I'm paraphrasing here, have issues with, with anyone, like sin against one another, like do not come and take the Lord's, you know, come to the Lord's table without reconciliation. And the story goes, as Tom said, he's, one of the guys stood up, walked over. I, they had sat at different ends of the church, supposedly. Walked over, and right then and there, they repaired an 11-year broken relationship. And that story's compelling to me for two reasons. One, again, like what is it that uh, in us can keep us with that sort of grudge? And um, for that long. But then also, what's the power that can overcome it? Because it's one of those things, like the longer you hold a grudge, it's like you get buried more and more and more by the pain, the anger, that to dig out of it, hard to do. It's like one of those things, like if you deal with it right away, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a, a cavity. You deal with it right away, you get the filling uh, you get a filling and it's dealt with. If you don't deal with it, the tooth starts to, you know, the cavity works its way down into the root. You need to pull the tooth or, you know, get, uh, you know, a crown. Like, it gets worse. But if you would have dealt with it right away, it might have been easier to, to deal with. It's like, that can happen in the midst of conflict. 
And I'm amazed at 11 years. I mean, that is like a root canal at, you know, that needed to happen between these two people. And yet there was something even powerful than the vengeance, the anger, the hurt that repaired this relationship. And that's what I'm interested in, in finding out today together because we need to learn and it needs to be a practice within the Christian community and this church uh, how do we deal with conflict with each other and repair relationship with each other? Because last week we talked about it. We're not called to give up on each other. Jesus has not given up on us. He refuses to give up on us if we're willing to repent. And likewise, we should be, we should be unwilling to give up uh, with each other. I want to read for you a number of Proverbs. Again, you know, the Bible doesn't just give us like subjective... Uh, kind of pie-in-the-sky religious thought, but actually practical ways and advice and how to live. And Proverbs is a practical book. Like, here's how you should look at things. Here's how you should live. And I, wa I want you to just listen to what the author of Proverbs is saying in, in terms of relationship with people and conflict particularly. So Proverbs 10, 18. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips. Not very good for Minnesota nice, which we're good at concealing. And whoever speaks slander is a fool. Proverbs 11, 12, verses 12 and 13. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. Now, I have a little, I think I have a, oh, it's a little different, but uh, says the same. But a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Proverbs 17. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Proverbs 24, do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause, or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Proverbs 25, what have you seen with your eyes? Do not bring hastily to court for what you will do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame. If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence or he who hears it may shame you and you will never lose your bad reputation. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will repay you, reward you rather. Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I sat with that verse for a while this week. But an enemy multiplies kisses. And I wanna, I'm going to go back into that, particularly that wounds, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Um, in other words, the truth that sometimes a friend needs to tell us that hurts, like we, we may feel like we're being wounded, but it can be trusted. Because from a friend, it should come from a place of love. But there's four things I want to point out in these texts of how we can experience relationship repair. And look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this and say this is easy. In fact, I will go as far to say this is really, really hard. When we've been let down by people, when we've been hurt by people, when we've been continually hurt by people, it's, it's a difficult thing to work toward repair. 
And we need God's help to do that. But four things the text shows us, four components of relationship repair. And I'm going to explain these, but first is resist superiority. Second, release from liability, which is an economic term for good reason, which I'll get to. But in other words, forgive. Third, overcome evil with good. And four, once we've done that, confront as necessary. So let's start with, um, you have to, and me, we have to resist superiority. What do, okay, what do I mean by that? If you look at uh, Proverbs 11, 12 and 13, it says, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Okay, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. That word um, derides or derision, it literally means to look down on someone. To, to have a feeling of elevation or promotion over a person or superiority. When you think about sort of the soil in which, uh, you know, ill will toward a person or gossip or slander, like what, what is the environment? What are, what are, what's sort of necessary to cultivate that? One of the things is superiority, a sort of pride where when someone hurts us or lets us down, it's very easy for us to go, to look and go, I'd never do that. Like, I'm not capable of that. Like, look at this person. Look what this person is willing to do. Look at how hurt this person is. Like, how can they live like that? How can they, how can they treat people like that? How can they, how can they, you know, lie about that? How can they gossip like that? How, you know, how can they slander the, I, I, I would never be like that. I would never do that. It's really easy to look at people and begin to promote yourself and give a, a sort of air of superiority. And what happens is, look, it's very difficult to stay angry at somebody unless you feel superior to them. As soon as that sense of superiority and like you recognize, I could be just like that, or I've done that, or I, you know, I could, I could fall into that trap, I could be that angry, I could make that bad of a choice. The, the ill will starts to fade. In other words, it's necessary for us to maintain, uh, to truly maintain resentment towards someone, to deep down in your heart say, I would never do that. I would never be like that. I would guess that these two men in the church, there was some inner dialogue in both of these men who, that said, what a rotten person. I'm not like that. I'm more spiritual. You know, I, I don't know for sure, but I would guess that, that there was a, uh, a feeling and, and a belief of feeling superior to the other person. And according to Proverbs, it is the, these feelings of pride, of superiority that we have toward people that is the very soil where, where evil, gossip, and slander 
grow that ends up destroying relationships. You know, the reality is, uh, we desperately want to call the shots in our life. It's, uh, it's, it's from the very beginning, you see Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're deceived because what? They want to be like God. And we don't say it like we want to be like God, but when we are trying to control everything in our lives, we are in essence saying we want to be God. And there's something with that, that sort of living that way, that um, every human being sort of ventures out into the world uh, radically insecure and like in desperate need of self-justification. Like, I'm good. I'm okay. Like, I'm in control. I can handle this. And the power of that self-justification, when anything bad happens or any, anyone comes up against us, that self-justification like goes into hyperdrive. Because we've got to promote and, and, like, and, and market that we're good, that we have everything in control, that um, you know, I, I can handle it. And the problem is that um, if, we, if, if we live there, it's very difficult to take like critique and it's very difficult to not think that we're better than other people. You know, one of the things I heard a long time ago from a pastor is like, how do you handle critique from people in your church? And if it utterly destroys you, like your self-worth, then the minute you, you like, you are worshiping the ministry, like the ministry is yours and you, like there's too much, uh, you have too much control over it. Because anything comes up against it, anybody comes and goes, I don't agree with that decision or that wasn't the greatest message. If, it, if you feel like, if I go home and I'm like, I'm utterly destroyed, then I've got to, I've got to honestly look at myself in the mirror and go, like, am I holding way too tight? Like, why is the self-defense mechanism, like, on overdrive? Probably because it's become about me and it's become about power and control. And to walk with Jesus is like when he says you've got to die, he's not saying literally. He's saying you've got to let that power, that control, and the idea like that you're going to be your own God, that has to die. And if, 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 if you don't, it's going to be very difficult to deal with conflict with other people because you're constantly going to be fighting a superiority over them. So, second, you must release them from liability. What's that mean? It's just, it's a, it's a sort of, it's an economic term. Why? Because this is what happens when someone hurts us. Um, we feel wronged, and it's almost like the feeling of someone like pickpocketed you, like stole money. We, we feel like something is owed back to us. This is why revenge is so tasty. It's because um, there's a feeling that, okay, you wronged me, you took from me, so if, I, if bad will happens to you, I look at it and I'm like, ah, that feels good. 
You ever felt good about, don't raise your hand, you ever felt good about, uh, about bad things happening to people that hurt you? I, I'll admit it, I have at times. Because there's this feeling of like, okay, you're paying for what you did. And I like that feeling. I, I had this last night, I'm going to admit it to Brian right now. I didn't even tell him this until right now in front of 250 people. <laughs> Brian's our worship leader here. And uh, my wife and I were on a trip and we did not have a ride home from the airport. And which, okay, mostly our fault. We weren't asking uh, early on. And asking everybody and look, getting a ride, getting picked up at the airport is an awful ask, let's be honest. It's an awful to ask it and it's awful to be asked it. It's like asking, it's like being asked to help someone move. It's just awful. <laughs> if anybody says, yeah, I'll come help, and they're excited about it, they're lying. <laughs> so, or they're just, they're just full of God's love. <laughs> um, but, so I like text Brian, Brian, can you come pick us up? And he, he didn't like flat out say no, but he's like, I, you know, it wouldn't be ideal. I got some stuff going on. He's working on his, his house. So Brian like, he owns land in Montrose, doesn't, he like destroyed the house, he's rebuilding the house, and because he doesn't have a house, he doesn't have a shower. Um, social distancing has been great for Brian, <laughs> for this reason. Um, but he comes to my house to shower, fine, yeah, come, use a shower as long, you know, whatever you need. So last night, we end up taking a lift home, like an Uber deal, you know, uh, which surprisingly wasn't that expensive. Um, uh, but I'm just like, oh, why won't anybody pick us up? Sort of bitter about it, to be honest. And, uh, and then last night, we thought we heard a, a knock on the door. And I go, if that's Brian. Because like, <laughs> he's here at this the first time. I go, if that's Brian and he wants to shower here, he ain't showering here. <laughs> if you can't pick me up from the airport, when I am paying the water bill, because the guy takes long showers too. Like, <laughs> see that, and Brian, love you with all, you can come take a shower. Um, it gave me a chance to, you know, evangelize to the Uber driver. Just kidding, I didn't, but I should have. Um, <clears throat> but no, but see, this is, this is the trap. This is the easy trap we fall in. And our minds run wild with it. And it's, you know, even with the people we love the most in our lives, there's this feeling like you owe me, like you're in debt to me. And until you either do something um, to make up for it or bad happens uh, to pay for it, there's this tension that fills us up. But look at Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friend. What is that? He who covers over an offense promotes love. Covering up, it, it doesn't mean, okay, you've wronged me, and I'm going to just cover it up and pretend like it's not there. That's not what it's saying. And, but that's, we're guilty of doing that often. To cover, to cover up an offense what the Bible is saying 
is not to cover it up and to pretend like it's not there. Imagine you're at a table with, uh, out to eat with friends, and you eat, and the bill comes, and you or someone else takes out their card, and you go, guys, I want to cover this. There is a debt to be paid, and a person is coming in and saying, I will pay the debt. That's what this means when the Bible talks about covering up an offense that it promotes love. It is in essence saying, I will forgive you without expecting you to pay me back, without gloating and finding joy in your uh, Ill, the ill will or the bad things in your life. So, releasing them from liability is, is in essence, forgiving them and closing out, like, uh, by saying, I forgive you. And, I, and even though I don't like it or I don't feel it or it hurts to forgive you because I want you to pay I'm going to release you from that liability, from that debt. And that is the cross. That's Christ, what he's done for us. I mean, if you think, if I look at the life I've lived and the transgressions, the sin, the pain, suffering that I've caused God in my disobedience, like I owe him a lot. I owe him a lifetime of payments that I'll never be able to pay. But Jesus comes, he goes to the cross, and he, he, he in essence like, takes the, the, the guilty verdict that, I, that should be on my life, and he pays the price with his blood, in essence saying, I cover the bill of Aaron's sin. And that's what, that's what he's saying to you. That's the gospel. He's done it for us, and he's asking us to do it for each other. Third, You've got to overcome evil with good. This is a famous passage, the one with the heaping coals. Uh, Paul, Paul actually quotes it in Romans 12. He says, if your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll, burn, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. See, it's one thing to hear a sermon like this, and you're like, fine. The people I don't like, the people I'm in conflict with, the people who have hurt me, okay, I'm, I won't exact revenge on them. I won't make them pay. I'll just ignore them. I will shut them out. In essence, what the Bible's saying is saying that's still ill will. If you shut people out because you're unwilling to, you know, like deal with it, uh, it's not replacing, you know, meeting evil with good. If anything, it's, it's meeting evil with mediocrity. The Bible's like to go as far to say, not only do you forgive the people that uh, have hurt you, but you actually like serve them. You love them. You, f you like, you find out what their needs are and you meet them. Like you go out of your way. That is good at work destroying evil. Ignoring the person and just shutting the person out of your life like the two men at the church were doing, is not, is not good destroying evil. It's maybe mediocrity head-to-head -head with evil. And this is incredibly difficult. But a challenge 
for the people of God to go a step further in the midst of our conflict and love the people, serve the people. Lastly, we must confront in love. And this is all through the Bible. When you look at what Jesus says about it, Matthew 18, I mean, it's like, look, speak truth in love. But if you've overcome evil with evil, if you've dealt with superiority or pride, and you've released people from the liability that they've caused against you, then you're ready to confront someone. Then your heart is in a place where you can confront them. That's that text where wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, look, uh, you can have people say all sorts of good things all day around you, and it might make you, you know, feel good. If your enemy says something good about you, you can hold on to that. But that's far, what's, that's far worse than a good friend coming to you with a hard truth that may wound you for a moment. But in the end, change something, heal something. I read this quote, it's absolutely unloving to just let somebody go who is doing wrongs to you and doing wrongs to other people. It's completely unloving. Because what happens? They go out into the world and they just hurt. So you're not loving the world by letting people just continue to hurt. It's not loving to that person. You probably heard it. Hurt people hurt people. It's not loving to that person because they're just, they're living in hurt and pain and sin. Therefore, you must challenge them. But only if you've done that work will the challenge work. If we see one another sinning over and over again, it's for their sake and for the church's sake and for the community's sake and for the rest of the world's sake that we speak to them. We confront them, but only when we've done the necessary work in our hearts. We've dealt with our pride, our superiority. We've forgiven them. And our, we've, we're in a posture where we're willing to go further and love them and serve them. So there it is. There is uh, four things that we can work toward to repair relationships, a relationship toolkit. The challenge now for us as the body of believers, as Christians, is to go home and work on it. And try to practice it. And it will not be easy. But it's a bigger, better offer. And it's worth it. As the band comes up, I just want to say, uh, as I close... You know, in life, we'll find ourselves on both ends where we may be doing the confronting or the confronting may happen to us. And having the right mindset and the right heart and the right spirit, whether we find ourselves uh, confronting or being confronted, is vital for the healing. I've had people come, and I know that they're just complaining because they want to hurt me. 
And then there's, there's people in this church who come and they speak the truth and I know it's because they love me. And the, different, and, and the difference uh, is, is what matters. It makes all the difference. It's a, and, and so how do we ready our hearts to either give and receive truth in love? We've got to practice it. But it's, it's going to God and asking us to help us live this out, this wisdom that God has given us. Let's stand together and we'll sing a few songs. I'm going to pray. Lord, um, not easy to deal with conflict, but I just pray, God, for relationship repair. You are able to repair all the brokenness that we uh, have in our lives, can experience in our lives, that the cross is healing and the resurrection is life. And so I just pray for healing and resurrection in relationships in our church. People here, and soften our hearts, God, to hear from one another hard truths, that the wounds of a friend are better than the repeated kisses of an enemy. And I pray that we would always approach one another in love for the betterment of the, of the person we love and the community in the world. Help us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us what we need to live this out as a church, the Highlands Church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.